Franchise players are often referred to as the face of the franchise. Welcome back to Franchise Players here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com, your home for sports coverage in the triad. Catch us every Friday afternoon on WWBG's TGI Friday lineup at 5 p.m. You can also hear it on WTOB uh, in Forsyth County, 980 a.m. and 96.7 FM at 6 p.m. every Friday afternoon. I'm your host, Dustin Johnson, joined by the Panthers Radio Network's Jim Zoki, so we can talk a little Carolina Panthers. And uh, Jim, I hope you stayed away from Panthers Twitter over the past week because they lost their minds in terms of <laughs> what they saw on Sunday <laughs> from the, the Panthers. 24-10, uh, lost to the Falcons, taking on the Saints this uh, Monday night, uh, 7 o'clock kickoff on ESPN. Um, first of all, what's up, man? How you doing? I am doing well, Desmond. Hope you're doing well. Busy. Busy. Uh, everything going up from college football to high school football and Panther stuff all starting. This is the busy season for uh, folks like me and you. So uh, love it. Now I'm just waiting for the fall nights to right. kind of creep in. So, you know, it's truly uh, football season. Um, let's just hop into it. Let's hit all the big Panther storylines here going into this weekend. Of course, again, the Panthers don't play until Monday night against the Saints. But um Give us the latest on what you've heard from the Brian Burns contract situation. Uh, and what do you think the end game here is? Because Brian Burns went out and had himself a game Sunday against uh, the Falcons. One and a half sacks, seven tackles, a couple of those for loss of yards. And then literally the the the, uh, the Falcons schemed away from him in the second half. So he wasn't as much of a factor, but he became a factor because they had to scheme away from him. Is it right. is it plausible that he could be flirting with Joey Bosa money. Cause I think the narrative had always been, he would come in somewhere behind him. But if you look at their stats side by side, they're fairly even in terms of what they bring to a defense. What are your thoughts on this Brian Burns situation? What do you think the holdup is? And what do you think the end game will be? Well, I think it's money is the difference, obviously. And uh, they're on the high end as far as what Brian Burns, I'm sure is expecting. And the Panthers are trying to counter or something. Below that, I mean, as an example, maybe Brian's looking for something around 30 and the, the team's looking in the low 20. So I think it'll get done eventually. I think it'll probably be somewhere uh, in um, probably the high 20 range because the market has been reset by Nick Bosa. So even though Miles is making 25 million per year on average, you know, it's not a brand new contract. The new market is what it is now. Same with quarterbacks with what Joe Burrow uh, in his contract accomplished too. So I would think, you know, definitely they want him here. Definitely, I think he wants to play here. So I think these things get done. It's always tough and tedious when uh, you're, you're sitting on the outside watching this stuff as far as it getting done. But as far as how Brian played in that game, as you said, that's kind of what Brian Burns does. Right? Not that he's going to get a sack and a half every single game, but he's always a, a big part of what's going on and in influencing the defense no matter what he does. And teams do have to game for him. So I think you, you made a good point there, too, about them kind of going away from him. And that's why you need a player like that. Uh, you need someone that another team has a game plan against to go, this is their guy. Uh, so at least you kind of at least cut the field in half and do some other things to another team. And, uh, and Brian creates that situation for you. He's the best player, would you say, on the roster right now? He's probably the best player the Panthers have. I think it's probably Brian Burns first and, and Derek Brown second. So I think they're both on the defensive line and Derek Brown's not too far away from getting paid as well, too. So I would, I would think those are your, your top two guys with Brian being at the top. 
Yeah, yeah, uh, and Bur- and Brown had a, a monster game on Sunday as well. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that situation, which could end at any time. I mean, um, now Burns is contracted this year to play. He's making $16 million, and he said he's going to play this season. So that might take the foot off the gas a little bit in terms of urgency to get the contract done. But if I'm the Panthers, I do not want to wait till the end of the year to get this done because, Jim, we've seen this before. We just recently saw it with the Ravens and, uh, and uh, Lamar Jackson. The longer the team waits to sign the player – I've never seen it work out in favor of the team. It's all the player always gets more money than what they were originally asking for because they waited so long to sign him. Even uh, Dak Prescott, he got injured in his negotiations before he got his deal. He still got his money. He still got more money than what people expected him to get. If you wait this long, it's always going to be more. Bosa just proved that a minute ago. So Burns could be flirting with uh, more money than, than any of us thought maybe a couple of months ago uh, when this extension is done. Um, are you worried about Bryce Young at all? Two interceptions uh, this past Sunday, almost the same interception. It was the same player, uh, Jesse Bates, uh, around the same area of the field, too. Are you worried at all, Bryce Young, or, or are you feeling okay going into this game versus the Saints? No, I don't think the opinions on Bryce Young should change at all, and I think we're, we're in this for the long haul. Uh, this is a, you know, a guy who's going to be around for multiple years, so um, I think – you look at the quarterbacks. We did this on Panther Talk the other night, and each brought this up about anybody from Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, I mean, Joe Montana, I mean, truly, John Elway, anybody. Their numbers were either below mediocre or awful. So I, I wouldn't judge anything on one game, first of all. And he's got to have a base point where he, where he starts from as far as his uh, playing career goes. So I thought as far as just the eyeball test, I thought he looked like an NFL quarterback to me. He didn't look like it was too big of a stage or it was too big of a jump from – uh, college football. If you just looked at him versus Desmond Ritter and the way they played for four quarters, I mean, you would roll with Bryce Young every single time as far as the comparison of what those two quarterbacks look like. And, and for the Ritter, he's been in the league an, an extra year, started four games last year. So I'm not, nothing changes the opinion of that. Um, you got, you know, a team that is uh, collectively filling itself out. You have all new weapons as far as what's in the personnel around him. And that can only happen over the course of time. And and you want to win while you're learning, no doubt about it. But nothing about Bryce in particular stands out as far as, you know, it, it, anything being, you know, too far off the rails. And he's going to learn. He's so smart. He's going to learn quickly. He's going to process the information. He's, I'm sure, you know, up to his neck in, in film study uh, with what he's doing this week. And he'll be presenting all new challenges each and every week. You know, that was a veteran safety and Jesse Bates has been playing for a long time at a high level. So, uh, this is Bryce's first game, so I'm I'm not concerned, and nothing changes the opinion about what what he's about. Follow him on Twitter at Jim Zoki, um, voice of the Panthers Radio Network. Jim Zoki joining us here. Get a little Panther info uh, as we go into this Pantherless weekend. Panthers taking on the New Orleans Saints on Monday Night Football uh, at 7 p.m. Uh, it's actually a, a Monday Night doubleheader, I believe. Uh, it's Brown Steelers, I believe it is at like eight o'clock Correct. on ABC and and uh, ESPN Plus. So they're doing the two for uh, this upcoming Monday. Um, Bigger loss. So look at the uh, the injuries that came out of this Falcons uh, game here. Who? Which is the bigger loss to you? Left guard Brady Christensen, who got placed on IR uh, on Wednesday with a biceps injury he suffered late in that game versus the Falcons, or cornerback J.C. Horn, who uh, suffered a hamstring injury, hadn't been placed on IR as we're sitting here taping this, but Coach Frank Wright alluded to the fact that that is a possibility and that it's a pretty severe injury. Which one is a bigger injury? Which is a bigger loss to you, Christensen or Horn? Well, I hate to rank injuries because <laughs> they're, they're <laughs> never good at all. Uh, but as far as, uh, you know, beyond the injury and uh, and the impact of a player, you know, J.C. Horn, we talked about who are the best Panther players. And somewhere that's 
five, if you were just looking about guys you would pick to build your roster around moving forward, uh, you know, J.C. Horn would be one of those guys, too. And another guy like Derek Brown, you look at, you know, when does he get a, a payday and, and, and is he healthy enough to to mandate that throughout his career? So I think J.C. is a special player when healthy. As we all know, it's been uh, injury plagued all three years, uh, but also when he is healthy, he's, he's a special player. Um, and I think he's when healthy, a borderline. I won't say he's a shutdown corner, but he's on the cusp of that. He's close to that. You know, Brady Christensen. Hurts doubly, obviously, with Austin Corbett being out. So now you're down your two starting guards uh, for a period of time till Austin comes back. Uh, so that that obviously impacts you in a big way, too. Uh, but interior offensive linemen, I think you can kind of work around that a little bit more. You've got options. Um, I, I assume Troy Hill and uh, C.J. Henderson will be seeing the bulk of the new duties at the cornerback spot. Uh, but to J.C., obviously, that's, that's a special player that you'd like to have uh, more than you've had, uh, which you're going to have anyway in the first part of this season. Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to – because it feels like the offensive line, depth is an issue with this roster overall, but the offensive line for like one of the positions uh, where they had some guys that can feel like Cade Mays, uh, even even Chandler Zavala, who they drafted from NC State, uh, played left guard at NC State right beside Ikeaquanu, so they could move him from right guard to left, I guess, if they really wanted right. to. So they've got some options there. The secondary is pretty thin at cornerback. Once you get past our starters, uh, C.J. Henderson will be starting – uh, we assume in place of uh, uh, J.C. Horn, uh, they did pick up Troy Hill uh, last week, uh, a free agent basically off the street, and uh, he actually made some plays uh, on Sunday. So we'll probably see a little bit of him mm-hmm. as well. Um, so that'll be interesting uh, to see when they take on the Saints. Uh, was there a surprise Panther for you last week? A guy that maybe flashed that you didn't expect to to be talking about when the game was over? Uh, there was a couple of guys that I wasn't expecting to have, you know, really good games, and they ended up. Having pretty good games. Was there a guy in top of mind to you that uh, you weren't really expecting a lot of, and and really had a pretty good game on Sunday? I mean, I don't think there were any surprises because it wasn't uh, a game that stood out. I mean, if they'd won twenty four to ten, I'd probably have a longer list of guys that surprised. Nice. So, um, I, I think you know what I will say. What was nice was the return of a pass catching tight end, uh, a competent receiving tight end like Hayden Hurst, who had. You know, the most catches, obviously, five for 41. He had a touchdown in the game, uh, the only touchdown of the game. So I, I love that that component exists. And uh, not a big surprise because I thought they would do this a little bit more. But, you know, Miles Sanders only caught 20 passes all last year with Philadelphia because they just don't use him that way. Uh, that was Gainwell, who's who's hurt now, of course, for Philadelphia, at least for the moment. Uh, but four catches for him out of the backfield. Uh, I think you know, that's a component of his game that uh, they weren't using and didn't have to use with Philadelphia too much. That I think we'll probably see more of. Uh, again, Panthers a little bit thin at wide receiver right now with not having had DJ Chark in particular available last week. So um, I, I thought that component of the receiver game, those are your two top receivers. That's nine catches to a tight end and a running back and not much to a receiver. So I thought on the other side, Adam Thielen, I thought would be a bigger first day. Just it felt like that was kind of where they were going with that. Uh, but maybe that was being taken away by Atlanta, just wasn't available. But I would think early in the season, Adam Thielen would be, uh, in addition to Hayden Hurst, kind of your security blanket, guys. And then uh, closing this out here, again, Panthers Saints, 7 o'clock Monday night on ESPN, Monday Night Football. Uh, Jim, what do you what what's the one thing you think the Panthers need to focus on the most to come out of uh, Monday night with a win against the Saints team? That's They've got some issues, too. Uh, they won against the Titans on Sunday. Uh, but from my understanding, I just literally just hopped off of a Saints podcast as a guest. They got some issues at offensive line, uh, kind of letting some defensive guys just kind of run in and out. <laughs> um, what, what do you know? Kamara, he's suspended uh, until after week four. So that's a huge loss for them. 
What do you think out of everything you saw on Sunday from the Panthers, good and bad, and from what you know from the Saints after their win against the Titans, what's the one thing you think the Panthers need to focus on offensively or defensively to beat the Saints on a, on Monday? Well, I think going back to the Atlanta game, you know, the, the run defense, I mean, big chunks were available to Atlanta in that game. As you said, there's some offensive line issues with the Saints. My concern with the Saints is going to be more in their pass game. And by that, I mean maybe not so much a steady dose of it, but you've got to guard against those three, four big plays that could change the game. It feels like this could be a close game like Atlanta, a 10-10 game, and then you've got to guard against you – know, Chris Olave is terrific. So something like Derek Carr, who's a veteran quarterback, to me I think is underrated. I thought it was a good pickup by New Orleans to get Derek Carr. But Rashid Shahid is not talked about a lot. This is a, another fast, big-impact guy. And um, we had the, uh, the Saints um, – one of their broadcasters on this past week on our show – and I, I asked, you know, Michael Thomas, it's been three years of injuries. How's he right now? And, and they said he looks healthy. He looks like not necessarily back to where he was when he was setting records and leading the league, uh, but he's back physically. And if he's even at, say, 80% of the old Michael Thomas, like 2019 Michael Thomas, that's a huge addition. So that's a lot of in the receiving game, big issues, and a veteran quarterback in Derek Carr. So that, to me, without having J.C. Horn out there, probably be the, the number one matchup that I would think New Orleans would look to try to exploit. Follow him on Twitter at Jim Zoki, voice of the Panthers radio network for how many years now, Jim? Cause uh, it's been all of them. Yeah. All of them. <laughs> yeah, all of them. 29, <laughs> 29 years, <laughs> 29th year at the Panthers radio network. Uh, Jim yeah. Zoki uh, in front of the program here at uh, tobacco road sports radio. Always a pleasure having you on my friend. We'll definitely bring you back on a little bit later on in the season. Sounds great. Thank you, Desmond. Coming up, award-winning sports writer and sports host David Glenn joins us in the Sports Buffet. We'll talk a little Deion Sanders. We'll talk a little Aaron Rodgers. We'll talk a little uh, Tez Walker. You're listening to Franchise Players here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com and WWBG 1470 AM. In professional sports, a franchise player is an athlete who is not simply the best player on their team, but one that the team can build their franchise around for the foreseeable future. Welcome back to Franchise Players here on WWDG 1470 AM, part of your TGI Friday lineup, and of course online at TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson, here every Friday afternoon getting you ready. The biggest storylines from the past week, and we'll get you prepared for the biggest storylines going into your weekend. Uh, Joining us, as he does every other week here on Franchise Players, award-winning sports writer and host David Glenn joining us in the Sports Buffet. DG, what's up, man? I'm doing great, Des. It's always fun to be with you. Part of the North Carolina Sports Network. Definitely check him out there and follow at David Glenn Show on Twitter. Let's hop right into the sports buffet. Of course, uh, a couple of things I wanted to hit on uh, with you here. A couple of legal matters here at the very end, too, that I wanted to get your opinion on. But starting off, of course, the biggest news probably in sports. Well, one of the two biggest stories in sports. We'll start off with the most recent one, and that's the uh, the injury to Aaron Rodgers, uh, quarterback of the New York Jets. Four snaps into the game, uh, basically blows out his Achilles, um, season-ending injuries on IR. My question to you, Aaron Rodgers is 39. Does he need to return? Do you Mm. think he needs to return to the NFL? He has won a Super Bowl. He's won, uh, I think, three league MVP awards. Uh, He's widely considered probably a top five all-time quarterback as it stands right now. Do you think he needs to return to add to his legacy or do you, I mean, he was about 90% retired before this season, before he went to that dark cave or whatever he did. So 
what do you think happens here? What's the end game? Yeah, from my perspective, just as a media member or as an observer, he doesn't have to come back. As you said, his legacy is secure. He is that multi-time MVP. He has been that Super Bowl champion. He has really, to a degree, rewritten what can be expected from the quarterback position. This is a guy who remembers each of his career interceptions and remembers the details behind those interceptions Nuts. and which ones, which ones were his fault and which ones maybe the receiver tipped off his fingers and which ones maybe the defensive coordinator tricked him, which does not happen very often. Uh, but, but you know the deal, Des. No matter what you think from the outside, I think from the outside, another third party or a million third parties think from the outside, something like this really boils down to an individual decision right? Your, your friends say one thing, your agent says another thing, the mass media says another thing. In his particular set of circumstances, it's just really, do you want the grind of the level of rehab that would be required of an almost 40-year-old to get through a very serious injury, meaning an Achilles, to try to get back to what you hope would be the crown accomplishment of your career and not some, you know, Willie Mays style seeing him as less than his best self toward the end of his career. Yeah, I think that's what I want to avoid because I'm, I'm not exactly an Aaron Rodgers fan or a Packers fan. Everybody knows I'm, you know, Team Panthers. But I was actually uh, at Natty Greens in Greensboro doing um, a high school coaches show on Monday and they had the, the game up uh, at the bar. So we were watching as we were packing up and uh, Ryan Stone, who was the host of the show, was telling me, hey, they just they just carted off Aaron Rodgers. And I'm like, what? And I looked at my watch and I was like, the game just started. Like, <laughs> what's going on? Got on Twitter, started seeing what was going on. My immediate thought was Kevin Durant uh, when he when he uh, tore his Achilles in 2019. And if you look at the timeline, it's almost similar because didn't Rodgers have like an injury or some kind of calf strain or something that same leg earlier in the uh, the preseason? He did. Um, of course, KD was a much younger man with a much longer horizon, right? So you knew he was going to come back. But yeah, a lot of times an Achilles injury is the aftermath of a smaller injury, right? Mm -hmm. and, and as you know, we learned in elementary school, the elbow is connected to, to, the, to the, the forearm, is connected to the wrist and all that stuff. It all, I go to a chiropractor once a month, and I can tell you I've learned a lot about how <laughs> our, our bones and our framework allows the rest of our body to do its, its I need their jobs the right way, right? Yeah, so there's a lot of that in athletics. Um, you'd think at that level he would have had every piece of advice about how this might affect that. But here we are. And, and you know, father time doesn't pause for anybody. Undefeated. And we're just all more vulnerable to injuries as we get older. Durant, it's, and the thing with Durant, too, it's weird because that was, uh, you know, COVID happened right after. So, like, because he did that happened in June of 2019 uh, in the NBA Finals. And then you start the 2019 20 season, he's out for that entire season uh the the COVID happened and then the next year was the bubble so it was like he kind of missed two years and then was back 2020 fall of 2021 is that right so yeah I think that's right so I was thinking it's like a 12 to 18 month type injury but Kevin Durant was in his early 30s uh when, when that happened 31 32 years old he's 35 now and just now kind of getting back to speed Rogers 39 put him on that same timetable he'd be over 40 by the time he'd be able to step back on the field again um, I don't know. It's just it feels like as much as he may want to come back, I'm just not sure if he'll be able to. Kobe Bryant popped in my head too. Uh, a lot of people were asking at first; they thought it was an ankle because he was able to walk on it. And in my mind, I'm like, I watched Kobe Bryant walk to the free throw line and shoot two free throws and hit them <laughs> with his torn Achilles and walk off to the bench. Um, so 
You can walk on it. We'll see what happens with uh, Aaron Rodgers. We got um, David Glenn in the sports buffet. The other big story I wanted to talk to you about that hadn't had a chance to since it, uh, since it kind of began. We kind of started talking about it right at the very beginning. Deion Sanders and the Colorado uh, football team. They have, they have taken not just college football, but the world of sports by storm. Is this the biggest storyline in sports today? Mm. It's certainly one of them. I'd have to think a while longer to see if I could supersede it. But it's on the short list, and it's number one in college football, right? Because we expected Georgia to be way up there. We expected Michigan to be way up there. Uh, in ACC country, not everybody, but I expected Florida State to be a national top 10 team, as the Seminoles have proven to be so far. Nobody that I know of thought of Colorado that way. To me, Des, they were the ultimate unpredictable variable. College sports have been around for 100-plus years, and you know there were some weird things that happened like way back during the World Wars, yeah. You know who was eligible and who literally went to war and then came back but was still eligible at 27 years old. Yeah, playing 30. <laughs> Other than that stuff, having 50-plus incoming transfers, and I think it was 50-plus outgoing transfers – yeah, you know, this is him. a maiden voyage, right? <laughs> <laughs> There's only 85 scholarship players uh, and 100 plus on your roster overall. So this is a true litmus test. And not every transfer is a good transfer or a bad transfer. But a lot of folks were skeptical that you could essentially microwave a football team, right? These guys mm -hmm. hardly know each other. And yet here they are uh, playing very good football and securing one of the big victories of the season on the road at TCU, which played in the national title game last year. I don't know where this story is going. I don't follow the Colorado depth chart the way I would, you know, or schedule the way I would an ACC team or a state of North Carolina team. But it's fun to watch because Dion is another of those kind of like Aaron Rodgers. A lot of people love him and a lot of people can't stand him. <laughs> and he doesn't seem to mind. Neither does oh. Aaron Rodgers. But it just – it, may, it makes that many more people pay attention because many are rooting for him to build on this great start and <laughs> others are rooting for him to face plant at some point in the coming weeks. See, I, I always describe myself as a casual college football fan because typically I work on Saturdays, so I'm usually not around to really dig deep into college football. And I'm a Carolina Tar Heel fan, so it makes it really hard to, <laughs> to really be in college football. But when I am in college football, I've, I've realized it's usually when it's a team – kind of like this Colorado team that kind of just like just shows up on the national stage all of a sudden with different personalities and the coach and everything. And I said this two weeks ago and people kind of looked at me kind of sideways and I still stand on this Hill. This Colorado team reminds me of Oh five USC, not, not talent level wise. Like that, no, <laughs> I'm not saying that at all. I'm just talking about the national buzz that they have created where they almost are treated like a pro team in terms of like how they're getting, reported on and the amount of exposure and now you've got i mean they've got not one but maybe two heisman finalists and travis hunter and shadur sanders doing just ridiculous things and that usc team they had guys like reggie bush doing ridiculous things that you hadn't really seen before and it made it where people that normally don't watch college football are watching college football um i think the past two colorado games that they've shown on television have been like the highest rated college football games like in a long time. And that's the the parallel I was talking about with USC. USC is really the last football team I could think of that had that going on. We've had good team. We've had Alabama and Georgia and FSU has won a national title. Like we've had these teams come through, 
but none of them had the star power like that USC team. And really before that, the Michigan, I mean, the Miami team of 2001, like that era, like where the team was like looked at almost in this UNLV type level. I'm trying to figure out if I'm explaining this the right way. If, no, if it makes sense, like it, it feels like this, they're on that road, you know? I, I call this the Dave's mom test. My mom mostly doesn't care about sports. I mean, seriously, she loves the fact that her son found his calling and gets paid to write and talk about sports. And occasionally, if my dad is also on the phone, we talk about sports. But overwhelmingly, my mom doesn't care about sports. Right. However, if there is, let's say, a school that's not always good at something, but then is good, which Colorado applies. Now, now the Texas Longhorns, you know, in my mom's childhood were national champions. They're kind of back in the conversation in a different way. That's yeah. that's eye-catching to the casual fan or even the non-fan, right? If you have a big personality at head coach, which my mom knows who Deion Sanders is, right? If you have superstar players, my mom knows that uh, another Sanders is a superstar player, right? right. Uh, if you have the they haven't been in the spotlight, you know, people yawn when Alabama is a top 10 team. Right, yeah. So Colorado has these multiple layers, almost like putting together a lasagna <laughs> of of headline-inducing factors. And plus the win over top 25 TCU on the road. Like, the these things don't happen every day. Mm-hmm. And that's like four or five layers of stuff that's happening with the Colorado Buffaloes football program right now. And oh, by the way, they're in the midst of changing conferences. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many <laughs> angles. It's it's the perfect storm. And as long as they keep it up, that storm's going to build. Now, they got Colorado State this weekend. College Dame Day is going to be there. Um, actually, uh, I'll be producing A&T Elon uh, later on that, uh, that day for Tobacco Road Sports Radio. And I was thankful to see that Colorado, Colorado State, is a 10 o'clock kickoff on ESPN. They magically put it on there. So uh, I'll be watching that once the anti game is over with. And um, they've got Oregon, an undefeated Oregon, next week. So if they get to that Oregon game undefeated and Oregon's undefeated too, I think Colorado's going to be in the top 10. I think they're going to push it because this is a story the media loves. They Everything you just described, the media just latches onto it. And we're already seeing it. College game day, they were going to be at the uh, backyard brawl. Like they probably should yep. be there. <laughs> That's probably the biggest game in college football this upcoming weekend, but just the allure, the gravitational pull of Dion and his Colorado team, they're going to be college game day is going to be at Colorado versus Colorado state <laughs> in Colorado uh, on Saturday. So go figure. Uh, I think prime had to be talking to being a college football coach to begin with. And now he's like the center of the universe there. Um, I want to leave a little bit of time here before I let you go. Uh, David Glenn on with us in the sports buffet. Follow him on Twitter at David Glenn Show. I want to touch on you on this Tez Walker situation at UNC. Um, legally, uh, at this point, everyone kind of knows what's going on. He transferred multiple times, but he only played, I think, one year um, at the first place he was. Did he start off at Central? So he, yeah, he started. didn't play during a regular season at Central, went through a spring practice, played two seasons at Kent State. Kent State. But – you know, the, the new rule, it was adopted in January of this year. The new rule is if you're a multi-time transfer, which technically Tez is, you can look for a loophole and they're trying to find a mental health loophole. They're trying to argue that since he didn't play at Central, it wasn't a real transfer the first time when he went from Central to Kent State. Because they but didn't he played, play. Not only played two seasons at Kent State, he was really good. He got on the NFL radar, first team all Mid-American Conference. So he, he was expected to be Drake May's number one target this year now that Josh Downs is in the NFL, obviously. Oh, wow. Um, and he's stuck, you know, and 
it's hard to make a long story short on this, but once you're in the appeals process, you're at the mercy of the NCAA. You, you really are. And what bothers me as an attorney, Des, and this is not discussed very much in the Tez Walker conversation, I believe the biggest mistake that the NCAA made was when they drew up this rule in January. In other words, not the appeals process, where it looks like he transferred, at least in part because of a coaching change, which is not the basis for a waiver under these new new rules. Right. He also was checking out Rutgers and Penn State and other faraway schools, which kind of undermines his need to be close to his family argument. Again, yeah. there, are, there, are, there are facts on both sides. I'm just saying it looks like a gray area, okay? Where the NCAA screwed up, and this really bothers me as an attorney and in terms of just basic fairness, when you adopt this rule in January – you could have written one sentence saying anyone already enrolled at their new school gets to deal with the old rules, which were much more forgiving to multi-time transfers. Grandfather, I'm in. You got it. Everybody yeah. knows what a grandfather clause is. Yeah. Literally one sentence would have eliminated eight months of angst around what? Tez Walker. They didn't why, do why that. Do you, why do you think they didn't put that in? That seems so obvious. The, I think it's an overreaction. Keep in mind that even coaches like Mac Brown and even schools like the University of North Carolina voted on the legislation that is now haunting Tez Walker. Hmm. People think of the NCAA as this nameless, faceless group of people, you know, conspiring in a basement somewhere in a cigar filled room. No, it's the schools themselves who create this legislation. And they were so mad about the multi-time transfers that they came up with these very restrictive draconian rules limiting multi-time transfers and forcing them to sit out unless they get a waiver. You could have put in a grandfather clause. You could have even said if one of your transfers was related to COVID, that's the, that's the source of a waiver. They yeah. didn't do that. They screwed up so badly in January that to a degree it ties their hands in the appeals process. This would have been infinitely simpler if they just had a lawyer in the room as they were adopting that rule in January, because they either contemplated those little clauses and decided not to, which is evil, or they didn't even contemplate those clauses. Yeah, they didn't cross their mind. <laughs> which is just incompetent <laughs> wow. and, and malpractice. So, uh, you know, I, Des has an uphill battle if he wants a lawsuit. It's it's hard to get, explain that quickly from a legal perspective, but is I don't gonna, think that's going to play this year. You think he's going to play? No, I, you yeah. never, you never say never, but it's an uphill battle, and they know it. Ugh, it's uh, it's totally tough to hear. Um, but I wanted to get it. I wanted to hear it from you because I'm hearing because we're in the legal phase of this now, where basically Carolina is going to decide. Sounds like they're going to decide to go forward with some sort of legal remedy to this. Um, and it sounds like they're going to get tied up in the courts. I feel bad for Taz Walker because there's no telling how long that'll take uh, for him to. You would think they would give some kind of stay or something while this is getting figured out and allow him to play, but. Sounds like they're not even going to do that. So, yeah, one thing to remember is when you take these things to court, a lot of folks imagine that a judge just looks at a set of facts and imposes his or her own version of fairness. Doesn't work that way. The way it works is the judge only asks things like, did the NCAA follow its own rules? However stupid you may think those rules are, yeah. did they follow their own rules? Did they violate this young man's constitutional or other legal rights? A judge does not, absolutely does not ask, you know, is this fair or would I have decided differently or would I make an exception here? It's just it just doesn't work that way from a legal perspective. And that's why I say Tez Walker has, 
not an impossible legal battle, but a very difficult one. Follow him on Twitter at David Glenn Show. Also, go hit that subscribe button for the North Carolina Sports Network. You can find uh, the David Glenn Show uh, revived there in podcast format. Uh, definitely go there and check it out. I love the fact that we're, we're getting more organically grown sports networks here in North Carolina because we got a lot of stuff to cover here. <laughs> it feels like there was starting to be a, a hole in coverage, and I'm so happy that there's others besides Tobacco Road that are growing as well. Uh, hey, I was at I was at the Aggie Eagle Classic last weekend, and hey. I'm going to ECU at App State this weekend. So see? I'm all over the place. You see, yeah, see, so we we need this. We need this here uh, in the state of North Carolina. So I'm so happy that uh, that that's off the ground for you guys. Uh, DG, we'll see you uh, week after next. Thanks, Des. Always good to be with you. We'll probably be uh, talking about USC versus Colorado uh, <laughs> at that point. So uh, fingers crossed. Hopefully we'll see uh, how that goes. But we'll be back in just a bit. You're listening to Franchise Players here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com and WWBG's TGI Friday lineup. Franchise players are often referred to as the face of the franchise. Welcome back to the finale of Franchise Players for Friday, September the 15th, 2023. Like we do every Friday afternoon in high school football season. Of course, you know Tobacco Road Sports Radio is your home. We are your leader for high school football, live football. Not one, not two, but three high school football games. We are uh, having this <laughs> tonight, uh, Friday, East Forsyth taking on Reagan. Grimsley taking on Southeast uh, Guilford and Glenn taking on a surprising 3-0 Parkland. So uh, all three of those games available to you on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com and on Terrestrial Radio throughout the triad, as well as the NFHS Network. So definitely uh, get your feet in there. And some of that will start here, start at 7 o'clock. The East Forsyth Breaking Games is 7 o'clock kickoff. Joining me from SB Live, beat writer Mark Pruitt, who's with us every Friday afternoon to preview the biggest high school football games in the uh the tribe for side guilford county area uh mark what's up brother how you doing how's it going desmond ready for some uh friday football and the rubber is gonna hit the road i think real quick this week huh yeah we had a uh, buys for of course we have the east for side sports network and the grimsley sports network here at tobacco road and they were both on buys last week uh so we and actually glenn was on a buy last week everybody was on a buy <laughs> most, most everybody around here was yeah central yeah. Piedmont and metro teams i think yeah so that's like our entire listening area. So uh, we were at Walkertown North Davidson last Friday. Back at the Nest uh, this Friday, myself and Rod Funderburg. Uh, give us um, your your. We, we, there's three. You've got three of them. Give us yep. uh, game number one of uh, games to watch here in the Triad uh, this weekend and why. Well, let's start. Let's start at the Nest then, since uh, you're you're going to be there with Rod. Um, that's good. Reagan comes to town to take on East. Uh, always an interesting matchup just because I think you got two of the two most tenured coaches in the CPC going against each other and Josh McGee at Reagan. Um, and of course, Coach Willard at East. Uh, they know each other really well. They always play each other. They always bring out the best in each other. I think it's the same, I think, uh, with West Forsyth under Adrian Snow with Todd. Um, Reagan's kind of still searching for its first win. They had a, a really tough first three games of the season. Um, so they're coming in 0 and 3, and I know they're <laughs> they want to get on get off the schneid there. Um, the Eagles 3 and 0 look really good. I know the first two weeks and look really good for about six minutes against AC Reynolds. Uh, <laughs> was it? You got, got out 21 nothing, and you know I, I'm thinking I was at that game. I know I sat near you guys, and I was thinking it's going to be a running clock, you know, in the second half. And yeah, that's what we were thinking at, too. Yeah, <laughs> might leave at halftime, and then it just I don't know something something happened. I know coach Willard wasn't too pleased afterwards um, talking to him. 
Um, but uh, uh, hey, I'll give a shout out to AC Reynolds. Uh, yeah, their defense played well, and they yeah, yeah they kind of hung in there and just kind of hung around. And I know uh, East had to convert a couple of key third downs there late in the fourth quarter just to kind of keep that clock moving and and, mm-hmm. and finish it out. So, but you know um, something, I was telling Rod in that game because uh, last year. Uh, the team that went undefeated regular season and got all the way to the Western regional semifinals and lost to Huff at home, they didn't have any adversity at all. Like all year, yeah. like, they were on yeah. running clocks like the whole year, even Rollsville, yeah. like earlier in that yeah. year, they had them boys down like 40 something to zero at the half. So it was like, they never had to really deal with it until they got to Huff. So I told Rod, I'm glad they had a game like this early on. Cause I wanted to see how they would react to a little bit of it with some, a team not falling down. Like a lot of teams, they get down to East and they just kind of, yeah. They just kind of, you know, all right, well, let's just get this game over with. AC Reynolds' fault. Like, they, that offense came alive in the second half, and uh, East was a little punch drunk for a little bit. But uh, they figured out a way to hold on to win, and the 3-0 and for – I want to say they said it's like the 10th straight year that East has been 3-0 and or something like that. Probably. Uh, it sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, East yeah. Forsyth doing East Forsyth things. Um, that's a good one. Uh, Reagan is dangerous uh, because they are they have not won a game. That's the thing that bothers me the most going into this matchup to call it. Yeah. I don't know what to expect from Reagan. Uh, and they they're... got they got some key skills guys. I know um, talking to Coach McGee um, in the summer during a, some seven on sevens, he had told me that skill wise he feels like he's as good as he's ever been. And that's you, you start there with sophomore quarterback Jacob Smith and sophomore running back Jalen Moore, um, who really both just burst onto the scene last season as freshmen. Uh, I think they both kind of became varsity players around the same time. I think Jalen kind of predated Jacob by a week, um, but they really led led Reagan on a pretty nice surge through the end of the regular season until first round of the playoffs where they (laughs) ran into Catholic down in Charlotte. But um, those guys are are, are pretty good. Uh, Landon Callahan on defense, he's a Duke commit. and also good all over the field, kick returner, punt returner. He scored. I think he, I think he's already run at least one touchdown back uh, this year. But I think the problem with Reagan is their youth, especially on the, along the offensive and defensive lines. Um, they lost uh, three really good offensive linemen last year. Two of them are playing D1 now. I think that's been a part of the problem. Um, and then everybody else, is, as, as Josh has told me, is that they're just really young in a lot of spots. Um, um, I know he said, you know, this year I think we'll we'll be competitive. Next year I think we'll be right back where I think we we need to be. Uh, but that doesn't mean we're going to you know count this season out, obviously. Right. Um, but it's I think it's interesting that you know two of the games we're going to be talking about this one and then uh, Mount Tabor and West. I think that's kind of universally been the the four teams most everybody's kind of talking about to be at the top of the conference. I think Davey's going to have something to say about that. Uh, Glenn may have something to say about that. And I'm interested about Parkland too. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> they're out of this three, and zero start and, but they haven't played a great deal of competition. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll find out real quick kind of where they are Friday night when they play Glenn. The one thing I've learned watching Deion Sanders in Colorado the past couple of weeks, confidence can carry you a long way. Yeah. Parkland's building confidence, beating the likes of Winston-Salem yeah. Prep and Lexington or whoever. Fine, because they had been going over for a yeah. couple of years. Uh, Parkland's say, won one game in the last three years. Yeah, I want to say the past two times East has had to play, and we've had to call those games. And uh, yeah. 
did they score 70 last year? <laughs> it was you last year, year before. Uh, I mean, yeah. it, it was an awful, horrible game. So yeah. I'm, I'm happy to see Parkland kind of trying to turn it around. Give me your game number two. Um, I'm going to try it for, uh, for this weekend. Well, let's stay there. Let's stay with Parkland. I'm going to Glenn. Mm-hmm. Um, Glenn's one and two. Um, young team again for Coach Stevenson. I kind of, I know they were kind of rebuilding last year. Uh, it looks like they're kind of rebuilding this year. Offensively, they've struggled, and I think it's because they're young. They've got a sophomore quarterback, um, Jarrell Crawford. Uh, he's thrown for 541 yards so far, but the Bobcats have only scored 29 points in three games. So that's probably a big issue. Um, last week, they went down and played at Chambers. And Chambers, yeah, yeah they they got a really great defense down there. So um, I expect – I expect Glenn to probably win this game. I, I not knowing anything about Parkland, but just from the level of competition, I think Glenn's a little more battle tested right now than what Parkland has seen. Um, but Derek Sharp at Parkland in his first year doing some great things over there. Obviously, you come out, you win three games. That's three times as many as they've won in the last three seasons. So yeah. um, good to see them kind of back on that, you know, on that good good streak going, um, and hope hopefully it can continue for them. Um, Cause they, you know, back in the day, they had some really great teams with D'Angelo Bell and then Lamar Marshall was in there a few years ago. And I think went nine and three or nine and four with them mm-hmm. and came, came in shell at quarterback and the Samick teams. Yeah. Samick teams when he kind of rebuilt that program from scratch uh, from his first year, I think he went winless his first season before he turned it around over there too. So um Parkland's got a long history in this in this area. I grew up going to see Parkland football games. My mom taught there, and uh, I was a big Homer Thompson disciple back in the day. And um, so I was really lucky. I get to go. I got to go to Parkland to see uh, Homer Thompson coach football and Tom Hughes coach basketball. So um, it, 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 proud Parkland, tradition, proud yeah. tradition over there. Parkland and Reynolds are like two dormant football powerhouses here, right underneath our noses. That are kind of going through rebuild. Shout out to Coach uh, Joe Davidiak over at Reynolds. Uh, getting that program in his first year, trying to rebuild them. And uh, I think they're going to stadium uh, next year, year after, something like that. They finally decided to build one over in Haynes Park. It's in progress, and I think it's kind of been in progress a little longer than they would have wanted <laughs> it to be. Um, but, but, yeah, I, I was actually over by there a few days ago and kind of saw what was going on. I was like, okay, maybe this is going to happen. But, yeah, uh, Davidiak uh, is a great guy. I talked to him over the summer. I haven't met him yet. Yeah. Um, but I uh, did a little story on him when he got hired and uh, got a lot of energy. Uh, I was going to say, I love his enthusiasm. Like yes. you need that to go over there and kind of yes. rebuild this and kind of yeah. navigate for Scythe County high school football. Yeah. So uh, they got Davey, they got Davey coming uh, or they're going to Davey Friday night. That'll be, so That'll be fun. <laughs> that'll be fun for them for a young uh, Reynolds team. I uh, got Mark Pruitt on with us, beat writer for SB live, uh, giving us the lowdown on the top three high school football games in Forsyth and Guilford County this weekend or this uh, upcoming, well, tonight, <laughs> Friday night. Uh, I already mentioned East Forsyth and Reagan uh, and Glenn and Parkland. Um, Glenn hosting that one. You can hear both of those on the tobacco road sports radio.com uh, uh, streams. Just go to our homepage and catch them there. Uh, the East Reagan game is actually on WTOB, 980 AM and 96.7 FM in Forsyth County. And in Guilford County, it'll be on 1470 AM uh, WWBG. Who's your third team um, or third uh, game of the week? Let's head to Clemens, uh, Mount Tabor at West Forsyth. That should be a really good one. Um, Tabor's coming in 2-1, and one, West 2-1 and one after losing uh, last last week at um, 
at Weddington or two weeks ago, excuse me. Both of them are coming off a bye. Everybody kind of rested, I think, healthy. Um, I know Marcus Wilson missed, I think, the Weddington game for West Versailles. Um, but I think the key for the Titans will always be getting Kane and Chaplin going um, behind that offensive line. Yeah. Um, and I think the matchup with that is pretty good. They, Tabor is not big up front, um, but they are very fast, and they can move laterally and get to the ball. They fly to the ball. Rod Dunlap, the defensive coordinator over there, has got those guys rolling. Um, after they gave up 30 points against Grimsley the first week of the season, they've only allowed 12 in the last two games. So mm. the Tabor defense is always going to kind of – Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds like a Tabor defense. Uh seems like anytime we go over there, we expect that maybe if we get to 17, <laughs> we feel yeah. pretty good about it. Um, there, It seems like with them, it's always like um, – like the 2021 state championship spring mm-hmm. season, mm-hmm. they had it on both sides. Like they had a defense and they could score and they had some skill position players in offense that mm-hmm. it leveled it out. But any other year, it feels like they're always going to be good in, on uh, defense. Uh, yeah. John Brown does an excellent job making sure that defensively they're going to be set the same way. Really Antoine uh, over at Glenn does yeah. the same thing. Glenn yeah. always has a pretty stable base defense that they can depend on in these tight games. It's just whether or not they've got the offense going or not that season. And if they got a quarterback that they can really depend on. Uh, I'm curious about Mount Tabor because Tabor is one of those schools that we've mentioned. Uh, they were ranked preseason uh, pretty high in the state. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. of course, they had that opening loss to Grimsley. And Grimsley's been ranked either number one or number two like all year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they are loaded uh, over in Greensboro. But yeah, I'm curious about Mount Tabor. West has been a bit of a surprise. I thought it'd take a little bit more time for uh, new head coach Kevin Wallace to kind of mm-hmm. turn that thing around because West have been kind of spinning their wheels the past couple of years. Um, but yeah, they, they've got some confidence back and just being out in Clemens with them for Titans talk every Wednesday yeah. night. You can kind of see the community starting to rally back around West for Scythe again. And yeah. uh, that's another dormant area yeah, you, where if they get it going. We'll you know, watch out. You can see it. I think you can feel it. You can feel that energy. Um, Coach Wallace is kind of infused into it uh, with his style of, of play. And um, as long as you got Cayman Chaplin back there and three pretty big, hefty guys up front. And they Desmond keep, Jackson, they keep too, yeah. <laughs> PJ Dean leading the way. Um, you know, they opened some running lanes. I think it could be an interesting matchup. And Tabor, Tabor got it going against Page in their last game. Um, quarterback Lane Albright, who transferred over from uh, Reynolds over, over the summer, uh, threw for four touchdowns and ran for another. So he's kind of getting his – he's finding his he's finding his groove in the offense. I think the first time he practiced with the team was during a seven-on-seven back in late June. Um, when I, and I was over there to watch that. Uh, so if, if they can find it, he keeps finding Snook Peterkin, who's kind of their wide receiver, do everything. Um, mm-hmm. Major D1 prospect uh, right now. He's got all kinds of power five offers. Uh, and then uh, those two keep hooking up and they find a running, a consistent running game. You know, Mount Tabor, they, and I told, I told Coach Brown this talking to him. Um, he sort of mentioned that the defense did somewhat remind him of the state championship year 2021. The, the different, the main difference is most of the guys he's got right now are all juniors. Whereas the state championship team had all seniors, uh-huh. but it's the same kind of level of talent, speed, skill. Um, that's a lethal combination when you get to the high school uh, football. The main difference there too, though, that was three double a. Um, yeah. And the, the West four a is probably the toughest region in all of these regions to get out of uh, in the playoffs. Like you're going to literally have, 
five, six top ten ranked teams just in the West for a uh, brutal. Yeah, yeah, nuts. And the CPC sounds like the CPC is back kind of down last year a little bit. Uh, with some of the perennials kind of having off years, West and Glenn uh, and Davey. But it sounds like everyone's kind of getting their wagons together. And uh, this is the opening week of conference play. So we, we've called it the conference of death for years for a reason. <laughs> and it's here. Uh, CPC play opening up. Uh, you can follow Mark on Twitter at Mark underscore Pruitt. Beat writer for SB Live. Uh, healing our, our prep coverage here in the triad. And he'll be here with us each week uh, previewing the top games in the triad before you head out on Friday nights. Appreciate you uh, coming on, Mark. No problem. Thanks, Desmond. And we're going to get out of here. I got to go call a football game. Uh, East for Sife and Reagan out in K Vegas at the Nest. Seven o'clock kickoff. Um, you can catch it here on tobaccoroadsportsradio.com on the East for Sife NHS, NFHS, ugh, excuse me, NFHS feed. Uh, if you have subscribed to their video, uh, our audio is there, or you can listen to it on WTOB 980 AM, 96.7 FM. Grimsley versus Southeast Guilford is our Guilford County game of the week on WCOG 1320 AM and 105.3 FM. And, of course, here on Smack Road Sports Radio. And the Glenn Sports Network will be carrying Glenn versus Parkland. You can hear that exclusively on the stream here on Smack Road Sports Radio or on the Glenn NFH. NF, why can't I say this today? <laughs> the NFHS feed uh, for Glenn. We got to get out of here. Go enjoy some high school football. Enjoy the kind of fall weather we got coming in here. Uh, we'll be back next week with a new episode of Franchise Players.